just because something is kind or compassionate or Christ-like does not mean that it's woke. And I'm hearing a lot of people these days using the word woke in response to things that Jesus himself would have done. I'm not making Jesus a partisan political figure. I'm not trying to make him any kind of socialist lefty, anything. I'm just saying that love your enemies is not a woke idea. That's right out of the teaching of Jesus. And so we want to be very, very careful here, I think, that we don't use some kind of flippant quasi-cultural, conservative cultural political phrase like wokeism to quickly dismiss the challenging things that Jesus actually calls us to. Hello and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host Cameron McAllister. And I'm your co-host Nathan Rittenhouse. The Super Bowl. It happened. Nathan didn't watch it. I barely watched it. I watched the recaps. I know what happened. All right. I didn't really watch the recaps. I saw tiny bits of it at a get-together, and then we had to go to bed. So I missed it. Missed Usher, Alicia Keys, Lil John. So all the festivities. But that's not what we want to talk about today because we don't know too much about sports ball. So we're going to try to stay in our lane as best <laughs> as we can on this show. But I did have I did have a chance to go back and subsequently watch the latest He Gets Us ad, which has inspired a lot of conversations that's a nice that for speaking that. euphemistically <laughs> yeah so it's inspired a lot of conversations certainly inspired us so we thought we would talk about it and yeah so nathan first of all what were your impressions of of this this ad and then we can talk a little bit about the maybe how it's you know the ad campaign itself some of the mindset in it all of that fun stuff Yeah, well, let's lay it out just for in case there's somebody who hasn't seen it. So the He Gets Us campaign, He Gets Us as a campaign has been going on for two or three years, probably. Cameron, do you have, I mean, it's been around a while. That sounds right. Mm -hmm. um, Yep. So you'll see things like He Gets Us, All of Us, and then Jeez Us, where like the U.S. at the end of Jesus is a different color usually. So He Gets Us, All of Us, Jeez Us. So it's... um, Yeah, and they've had a number of campaigns, uh, kind of an advertising campaign for Christianity, I think, would be the best way to summarize that or for, uh, yeah, we'll put it that way. So anyway, the reason that this particular commercial got attention is, A, you're looking at millions and millions of dollars to run this, so significant financial investment here. But the commercial itself was a, a series of still shots of people washing each other's feet. Um, and so it'd be like, uh, an oil driller washing a native or an environmental protesters feet or a cop washing, uh, somebody's feet in an alley or a woman washing the feet of somebody outside of an abortion clinic and on and on kind of trying to go across, you know, a lady washing the feet of maybe what's an alcoholic parent or a son washing the feet of a father, um, trying to really pull at some of these, when we talk about living in a polarized culture or society, I think trying to bridge the gap with the imagery of people showing acts of service toward other people through uh, something very intimately connected with Mm -hmm. Christ's service toward his disciples of of washing feet. And so at the end, then it talks about Jesus didn't preach hate. um, And then he gets us, uh, all of us, Jesus at the end. So that was the the summary of, and you you can look this up if you just Google, he gets us in the commercial and you can go to the website and they have a, a description of justification for why and how they did it mm-hmm. and what the intent was there. It, so that was that was what happened and that was the intent. I would say what actually happened is that 
everybody who saw it was irritated by it one way or the other. So uh, maybe I shouldn't say everybody, but, but if you yeah. go online and look this up, you will only find people who are critical of it. So good intention perhaps, but it m- probably missed the our audience that it was targeting. And I think there are a couple of reasons for that, but I mean, how did it sit with you at first, Cameron? Well, I mean, let's, well, I'll tell you in a second. I mean, let's, let's talk about the criticisms just for a sec for, for a moment. And I think there are two broad categories of criticism that, that were launched its way. You have conservative voices who felt that the ad was, had some really haunting imagery, but that it was theologically misleading at best. And that it was also communicating a kind of permissiveness toward mm-hmm. lifestyles that fall outside the gospel bounds, right? And also that it was highlighting some, how do we say it, sort of some of the more fashionable cultural divides and avoiding, you know, and avoiding others. So conservatives, a lot of conservative voices were pretty irritated with it. But then on the other hand, you had progressive voices who were irate as well. Somebody like AOC, as you were mentioning this morning, Nathan, we were talking about this, saying that the people who funded the ad or behind it Obviously, the, they're 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 opposed to many of the practices and services. To use her phrase, <laughs> yeah, she says they're basically said they're fascists. Yeah, well, no, she didn't basically say she said they're fascists, <laughs> which is of course a typical <laughs> outburst of our cultural moment that is all about nuance and civil discourse. Obviously, so yeah, th- that's that's what we mean when we're we're saying it was it was kind of everybody seemed to be offended by it. So I think, well, so what do I think about one, it? I think it's a misguided let, effort. Yeah. Yeah. Let me just w- make one other nuance there. When you said the conservative voices, you had two forms of conservative voices that, so there's the political one. Sure. So people who political conservatives who thought this was poking at, we'll talk about like whether or not woke was an appropriate um, castigation of this. But then you also had more conservative Christians who said, look, it doesn't talk about sin. It didn't talk about the gospel. It didn't talk about repentance. It didn't have the basic salvation message in it. And if you're going to spend that many million dollars on a advertisement, it could have been spent uh, Mm -hmm. better. So. Right. Just to make, just to be clear that they're both, what gets tricky here, you have political, religious, and then probably a large um, overlap of people in both of those categories who were frustrated by. And I think perhaps maybe felt just a little bit, critiqued also if you mm-hmm. if you come out and say look if, if you represent or look like the people who are doing the foot washing here and then you say that jesus is preaching hate are you subtly implying that the people who look like this usually are hateful and then this is a commercial sure. who's trying to kind of bible thump you into doing the right thing i could see people feeling that as well yeah and i think we also need to acknowledge right now that all of what we're saying may actually be a measure of the ad's success. In well, the we're sense talking that about it. We are talking about it, and everybody is talking about it. So it has inspired some vigorous conversation. So I do think that to an ex- to that extent, the ad has been successful. I mean, if it was mm-hmm. to you know to gain a lot of, well, yeah, major publicity. This is a Super Bowl ad. This is the television event, and because of Taylor Swift and some other factors, this was one of I think the most viewed. Super Bowls and most viewed television events in a long time. So you have that. And that, and so it has inspired vigorous conversations. So I think, yeah, we, we can acknowledge that. So I want to ask you what you think of the ad too in a second, Nathan. I'll, I'll tell you what I think. I do think, I think it's a misguided effort. So I would be in sympathy with people who 
think the money you know put forward in this effort could be used better elsewhere i think i think that's true now that's a debatable point but so i feel roughly about this ad nathan the way i do about billboards that say either jesus is coming or heaven or hell where are you going and so that's 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 basically the way i feel about this ad it's got higher production values to be sure and it's got some haunting imagery i do think it's theologically misleading in the sense that, I mean, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Now, he he did dine with publicans and sinners, and he had a vital and active ministry with, with these people, of course, but he was also very clear on where he stood. And that and this, him, him being very clear on naming sin as sin was part of love and part of true kindness. I still like that distinction that, I, I'm, I'm sure it's not original to him, but that, Cal, that we heard from Calvin Robinson recently between niceness and kindness that niceness is worldly and kindness is heavenly. I've thought about oh, we that did a, a lot. podcast on that way before and he certainly did. that maybe he's copying us. That's right. We had yeah, no, that's <laughs> true. We did. That's right. He's yeah. He got that from us. We were the OG. So anyway, I think that's, that's been in my head too. So that's where I stand on the ad. What about you, Nathan? Yeah. So, um, there's an interesting thought went through my mind is that, so I'm part of a church. We do wash feet when we have love feast and communion. So twice a year, I wash somebody's feet and they wash my feet. Um, I was thinking how many Christians actually wash somebody else's feet in general. Um, and, and so the, mm-hmm. the, the funny thing here is, is that most Christians don't wash the feet of other Christians, let alone wash the feet of now the whole thing that they're pointing to is humility. And they're using, they're saying, look, nobody really washes feet anymore, but this is a, a reminder to be humble toward um, doing service toward the immigrant. Um, maybe people from uh different sexual orientations, what have you. So it, it felt like he was forcing a, a valuable biblical imagery in a way that it wasn't really quite theologically connected. Not Jesus washed Judas's feet. Sure. He does say it is a command of Christ in John 13, mm-hmm. that now that I, your Lord and master have done this, you should do this for one another. Um, so it is a biblical command to wash mm-hmm. each other's feet. Um, it's, it's interesting that in the, if you read through the website of the commercial, they say the foot washing, and this is true that it requires humility in both directions. Lots of people, um, particularly like the first time, if you're ever involved in a foot washing service, will note that it's harder to let somebody wash your feet than it is for you to wash someone else's feet. We're kind of hardwired toward wanting to serve others, but the humility that it takes to allow somebody to do something kind for us or an act of service toward us is often far harder. So in their minds, they were setting up kind of this reciprocal openness to an intimate act, which is washing, you know, touching each other and washing feet. That was kind of crossing barriers. You you see the people at the protest, et cetera. Um, So it's, it's one of those things like, it's just close enough that I can say, I like, I, I like public expressions of Christianity that have Jesus's compassionate acts of service embedded in them. So on one hand, I'm like, Hey, yeah. a, a foot washing commercial. Like if I have to hear about Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, you can take 30 seconds and hear about Jesus being kind. Like, you know, let's call it even. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other mm-hmm. hand, I, mm-hmm. I don't think that it was latching. I, yeah. I don't, I don't think it did what it wanted to do. So, but part of that is, is not just because of what it is. It's also because the context in which it's done. So let's, let's imagine yes. that that clip was shown that. Yeah. on a Sunday morning at church. I think it would work Mm -hmm. in that context. 
Where it doesn't work is when the next thing is an Old Spice commercial. Um, because yeah. you're, you're pot. So this is why you don't like billboards or some people have an aversion like Christian t-shirts and stuff is because you're setting it up as an option among other consumer choices. And so mm-hmm. it's called a commercial. Like, think about this, Cameron. Yep. The word is commercial, commerce. Like you're selling something when you do yes. a yep. commercial. And people are going to very quickly feel that, hey, there's a lot of money being invested in here. This is a commercial for people to have this as an option in order for me to consume some product or something in order for somebody's agenda to be actualized. And so we've almost reached a point where you don't even have to be that cynical to say the context wins here of the type of thing that this is. And so it might be a good conversation starter and it might be a um, good burr under the saddle. But then again, based off, it might just be irritating. It might not leave people in a protect. Yeah. Well, let me give you two scenarios that illustrate exactly what you're saying. So when I'm driving down the highway and I live in the South, so I see a lot, I see a proliferation of these kinds of billboards. When I'm driving down the highway and I see Jesus saves, one day every knee will bow, even the Democrats. I'm not making this up. This is one that I pass every time I'm on my way to the in-laws house. So I see these. And then the next billboard is Lion's Den, adult toy store, next exit. So you you juxtapose these two. And now here's another scenario. And this one I'm lifting from Neil Postman. He talks about this in Amusing Ourselves to Death. You watch news you watch you're watching the news so let's let's take a current example say you've got some raw footage of the war in ukraine okay very sobering and then cut to commercial now it's a tampon ad so what's happened well the instantly the gravity of what you were seeing the moral gravity of it and the seriousness is undermined so that's the context we're talking about here that's a super bowl context that's that's any kind of ad compact context. That's any kind of commercial context. And so, yes, I think the other big risk there is that you reduce Jesus to one more competing product among many. But my issue with this, Nathan, is is larger. And but this, I'm pretty. I try to be consistent. This goes back to something I've said earlier. I think our whole pragmatic model in the evangelical church of cultural engagement in the United States is largely misguided. It's it's a very we've got a very populist impulse. Now there there are aspects of that that I love. I love for instance in evangelicalism that we care about the everyday person. Yes, a thousand times yes. I love that we're not elitist and that we're not, you know, trying to only, you know, cater to a certain kind of, you know, culturally respectable audience, nothing like that. I love that we have having you know, we have in mind everyday normal people. That's good. But on the other hand, there's this kind of pragmatism that just says something like, well, okay, here we have the largest audience all tuned in for one event. This is a perfect moment to sell the gospel in the marketplace of ideas. Okay. That on the one hand, I think a lot of, plenty of our listeners, I think would agree, hey, that sounds like a great idea. Why not? Well, for all the reasons that we just outlined, I would say it's it's not a great idea. <laughs> you're you're meeting in a context that completely alters the message. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to reach people, but I'm saying 
trying to reach people by opening certain cultural doors or always making or building these kinds of bridges isn't always maybe they're the wrong bridges maybe they're bridges on which the gospel is going to be understood in the wrong terms well so, so we don't tend to be very reflective about these kinds of things that's the weakness of our populist stance the, the strength is we want to reach everybody we truly care about everybody and we're passionate and we're zealous and we mobilize people really well the weakness is we're really unreflective about how the context alters our message. So one of the other elements that play here, I've I've used this before numerous times speaking at universities to say, okay, so you're driving down the road and you see a sign that says Jesus saves. And the question that might pop into your mind is, hmm, I wonder if he has a checking account. I mean, so <laughs> sure. what, yeah. what, what often happens in some of this attempted Christian messaging is that you're assuming a very high cultural level of biblical literacy. I mean, if you just saw the phrase Jesus saves, you might pronounce it Jesus. I don't know. Like, what what does that mean to the average non-Christian? Mm -hmm. And so we're it, some of these Christian forms of engagement are such that it's, it does, like you said, like bridge two ideas. Well, the bridge isn't connected to anything on either side. So you just build a bridge that doesn't connect two roads. The, the foot washing thing, I think it does have a little bit of a like, eh. Like it's, it's unique enough. It's enough of a pattern disruptor that it gets your attention, whether or not people would have enough cultural knowledge to understand what that actually meant biblically in order to make, get something meaningful out of it. That part, I don't know. Well, here's something else that I think will take us to the heart of this particular matter with this particular Super Bowl ad. Well, I hope it will at least Nathan. I don't think, I don't, I don't think it's the case that most people think Christians are just a bunch of hateful people because they behave in largely discriminatory in a, in a very discriminatory manner. Okay. Let me, let me unpack that for a second. Cause I just phrased it in a very convoluted way. That wasn't very clear. <laughs> yourself I us. do think it's the case that a lot of, well, so basically Christianity fully practiced right now, Orthodox Christianity is countercultural as it always is. But I don't think it's the case that people think Christians are hateful because they behave in a hateful way. I think the, the, way, the way that it is these days is that we've talked about this on the podcast before. A lot of people don't just want to be loved in the Christian sense. They want to be accepted and they want their views endorsed by the church. So I mean even think about even think about the fact that there is so if we talk about something like gay marriage th there are plenty of of people who are gay who who didn't you know wanted you know civil partnerships or something like that but they didn't want marriage and they were actually active they are many are opposed to marriage because marriage belongs to the church. The demand for that says something very powerful. So I think there are plenty of Christians who are being labeled as hateful because they simply, they love people, but they reject certain sinful lifestyles that happen to be at the cultural forefront now, many of them having to do with sexuality, right? And this is always the case. But so I think, Nathan, the reason I'm stressing this is I think the temptation is often among Christians, a lot of evangelicals, for instance, will say, well, Christians, you know, you have a lot of you know, white nationalism and there's a lot of hate coming from Christians. But I, I think 
those numbers, I don't, I don't think by and large, that's what's happening. No, this is an important point because it's a, okay, who do you know? That's a hateful Christian. Like like, do that many. So it's, it's Christians are lumped together as kind of this broad political they. Yeah. And then, but, and that's, what's crazy about like, you hear people say, well, I actually kind of got to know some Christians and they weren't like, I thought they were, um, (laughs) you know, so there's, there's a sense in which the, the, the reality of what people actually think when they meet other people. Um, and that's across the spectrum is not just non-Christians and Christians, but, um, yeah. And, and even sometimes you'll hear that college student like, well, my grandma's so judgmental. And then you're like, uh, is that, is that really how that is? Or she just doesn't. Yeah, so yeah, let's put, what do you mean by that? Money? You mean yeah. she, she thinks, she thinks for instance, yeah, homosexuality is wrong or something like that. Yeah, so I mean, you have right. to. That's that's yeah, that's my point. Nathan is is clarifying those moments, and also, so I think with the, with this ad, I think a legitimate concern of a lot of people who saw it was, all right. The other way this is misleading is this: this can run the risk of looking like you have this loving, sentimental picture of Jesus, sort of subtly or underhandedly endorsing these lifestyles, or at least, you know, prioritizing compassion over, you know, truthfulness. I think that was another mm-hmm. concern that comes through there. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I can see that. Um, however, yeah, well, so it, it, it does. So the whole foot washing thing is attempting to eradicate hierarchies. I mean, it's in the context of him talking about who's the leader and who's the servant. And if I mean, all the, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, learn to be the servant of all kind of, um, whoever is the greatest must become the least, that least greatest, all that backward stuff that Jesus says is in the context of not prioritizing other people over yourselves, not thinking of yourself more highly than your ought. Paul Romans 12. Um, that is a, a core part of the gospel and the way in which we visualize ourselves in the world. But there's a, a very, key distinction between thinking of yourself as superior to somebody um, and not being able to make helpful suggestions based on divine revelation of a better way to live life. So I don't, again, it's, it's a good image, but whether or not it works right there, I don't know what I, I, let me, let me critique some of the critiques though, if, if I can, just to get us going here, because here's a concern that I have. Um, So I saw it and I was like, eh, and I listened to some of the critiques of it. Lots of popular voices chiming in. And I was like, okay, yeah, kind of. But there's another element of it that I really didn't like. So this is me critiquing the critiques. Is the number of times where people say, oh, you know, this is just woke Christianity. This is just woke politics. This is just, you know, lefty, whatever. And um, they'd say, look, you know, they're very careful to hit all the diversity categories of who's included in it and who's washing whose feet and all of this. Um, it's, it's, it's super woke. Now, okay, there might have been a, a very strategic analysis or something about how the diversity gets shaped out and who gets portrayed in what ways and what pictures. I get that. However, I want us to, if you're listening to this, this is something I want to do. I know Cameron doesn't like the words, so he doesn't do it. But if you're listening to this, be very careful. Just because something is kind or compassionate or Christ-like does not mean that it's woke. And I'm hearing a lot of people these days using the word woke in response to things that Jesus himself would have done. I'm not making Jesus a, uh, a, a, yeah. a 
a political, a partisan political figure. I'm not trying to make him any kind of socialist lefty, anything. I'm just saying that love your enemies is not a woke idea. That's right out of the teaching of Jesus. And so we want to be very, very careful here, I think, that we don't use some kind of flippant quasi-cultural, conservative cultural political phrase like wokeism to quickly dismiss the challenging things that Jesus actually calls us to. I'll stop on that. Yeah, and absolutely. And I, I mean, the print, well, the principle of of serving those who with not only with whom you disagree. I mean, the, it's not that it's not tolerance. It's love your enemies. I mean, this is this is the command of our Lord. So he doesn't say your enemies don't that's exist. Real. I think. Right. Exactly. I mean, he doesn't say your enemies don't exist. I mean, there are firm lines in the sand, as there always have to be. But that doesn't mean that you don't love and care for people and serve them. I mean, in some ways, this would have been hard to pull off as an ad, but a probably a more fitting biblical image to draw from would be the the parable of the good samaritan here because then that that puts the shoe on the other foot so to speak and it doesn't it doesn't misuse any theology so you would have to somehow convey a christian in a position of vulnerability being helped out by their repugnant cultural other so the trans person helping a christian out you know or some some or or a policeman wounded being helped out by you know a black person something like that i mean that would have been that's that would that would have very powerfully conveyed because what jesus was doing there was conveying his vision of neighborliness neighborliness which explodes our categories and our cultural divisions so actually that's a helpful thought because if you read the he gets us website they would say that is their intent is to trigger the question who is my neighbor which Jesus yeah, and Jesus gets to that question through the story of the Good Samaritan, not through washing his disciples' feet. Right, and so I, I just think that would have been the more theologically fitting. Now, I agree; it would probably well, I agree. I, I agree with myself earlier that I think it would be harder to film that. I mean, or to come up with a quick, you know, easy scenario or skit to convey that. But still, yeah, I don't know that it was damaging. I just don't think that it did what maybe people who made it thought it was going to do, or maybe it did. I don't know, but. According to their website, they wanted people to think about neighborliness. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I just, I think we, we're, we're again, we're at a juncture though where we have to be comfortable being the cultural other as Christians, and I just, I think a Super Bowl ad is, I mean, you're, it's just, it's an outdated strategy that I don't think was effective to begin with. Now, the Lord, I, I, it's, it must be said, the Lord uses us in spite of our shortcomings. I have no doubt that there are people who were, whose hearts were deeply stirred by the ad. And I have no doubt that there are people who see the Jesus Saves, you know, billboards or whatever. And it's an instrumental moment in bringing them back to the Lord. I mean, the, I mean so that can happen. The Lord can work in spite of us. And so thank God for that. So I, I don't want to overlook that fact, but I, I do think though that if we we've got to think in different terms about cultural engagement and cultural impact, it's got to be less these big billboards and more a willingness to have these uncomfortable conversations and cultivate these relationships with people in our neighborhoods. Because I mean, these people with whom you have serious disagreements live in your neighborhoods now. I mean, it's not this is not an isolated incident. I mean, even talking to my <laughs> 
family member who is a youth minister in the outskirts of, you know, sort of Alabama, a very quiet sort of you'd think obscure region is dealing with all of these issues that that the ad is targeting. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, the Internet kind of <laughs> brings this to any place you you find yourself. So I, I so, think that's where we, we, we need to start focusing on faces, on real faces, instead of just some mass audience. I think that's been... Yeah, I think that's a shift that needs to happen. So, I, yeah, I, all right, let's say, oh, I'm convicted by this and I want to start practicing that. A good spot to practice that is in your local church. Um, and yeah. so if you're if you're not willing to extend neighborly kindness or service to the people that you worship with, it's going to be a struggle for you to do that for other people. So pr- use and your, your church's family. practice in your family. That's what they're there for. I mean, you these people are... Different- yeah, in your family. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you you know who they are, and you know who you avoid at family gatherings. Well, maybe stop avoiding them. <laughs> As our our you friend know. Tom Terrence who said, Jesus said to love your neighbor. He said your closest neighbor is the one that you wake up next to in the morning, and then your next yep. closest neighbors are the little ones that have little feet that live down the hallway from you, and your next closest neighbor, you know. Um, and so start practicing in your home is a good spot to, to work on some of these things. Um, there's also one other thing that, is a sign of our times here, Cameron, where we assume that if something costs more money, it's more effective. And I think you oh, and I absolutely. were joking yeah. just a month or so ago about both having been in organizations where we're like, well, we're going to pay this consultant to come in and we're going to pay them $30,000 to figure this out. And you're kind of like, raise your hand, like, uh, I could do that in two hours with a Excel spreadsheet. Um, like, yeah, but we're paying this person. They're the expert. And you're like, yeah, but really they're just manipulating our own data that we gave them back around in the charts that you can understand. Like, that's not worth 30,000, but, but we're paying this person all this money to do it. And so I think the same thing is true. If you're adopting quasi business esque models for cultural engagement, and outreach and church growth, then you're going to have a sunk cost in saying that something that costs millions of dollars is oh, apparently yeah. more impactful than, um, for the it's fact too big that, to fail, man. <laughs> yeah. Almost. But on the other hand, like the if you look at the the idea of resourcing the, the expansion of the kingdom of God in the New Testament, money shows up in there, but is not the limiting factor mm-hmm. in what creates cultural change in church growth. So that's not to say don't spend a whole lot of money on good stuff for the church. If you have the funds, do it with joy. Make stuff happen. That's yeah. Christian. But it's not Christ-like to hope and to think that only by the power of mammon can we make the kingdom of God be more materialized. That's idolatry. So, I it's hard for me to you know on, what Dallas Willard used like to this to to draw hard lines yeah. too hard and too firm, um, and say yeah, would I have used that money differently? I absolutely could have, except that you then run into sure. you know the woman anointing Jesus' feet with the perfume, and the disciples were like, man, that was a waste of money. What else could have been done with that? Sure. And he and Jesus loved it. Yep. Um, so I think, yeah, there I mean, might and I think the, yeah, the counter argument might, well, I mean, yeah, Christ is an extravagant offer. So we're going to pour out extravagant resources to make this available to as many people as we can. This, we see this as a, as a good and hopeful vision. You know what? Okay. I disagree, but I think, okay, that's, you can make that argument. I mean, given what you said earlier, I always think about Dallas Willard's talk when he, well, when he's talking about mission statements, he said, you know, churches spend a lot of time and effort and money thinking about mission statement, cra- statements, crafting a good mission statement. Nathan, we've been through this rigmarole, too. And he says, Matt, you know, the Great Commission from Matthew is 
the best mission statement you could ever have. And it's a recipe for explosive church growth every time. So really the strategy, if we want to use that word that we need to lead into is obedience to Christ. I think if we can prioritize that, that doesn't necessarily exclude the Super Bowl ad necessarily, by the way, but if we lean into obedience to Christ in our own lives and our own spheres of influence with our, with the people the you know, whom the Lord has entrusted to us, whether those are, you know, family members or friends, coworkers, then I think the rest falls into place. But the strategy, so-called, has to begin with taking Jesus's commandment seriously. Yeah, the more the more I talk about this, the less I know how to feel about it. <laughs> in, in in some ways, in that I can I can I can justifiably make decent arguments in two directions. Um Mm-hmm. And I cert- and I certainly don't want to be second guessing the motives or intentions of other well-meaning brothers and sisters in Christ who have resources to do that kind of thing. Um, at the same time, I think there will always be room for the. And this is a this is a struggle when you get into things that are parachurch and not from within a church. Is you don't have the expansive community to help give you feedback on, hey, how is this going to be received? Um, I was, sure. you know a talk I was giving recently, I was like, you need community to call out the gifts and skills that you have. Because if you're listening to this, you're probably good at some stuff that you don't know you're good at. You know, Cameron, you talked about your uh, high school teachers calling out your writing gifts whenever you wanted to be part of a metal band in Scandinavia. Um, <laughs> but the flip side of that is true. There are some things you're prob- you probably think you're good at that you're not. And you need community around you to be like, yeah, right. yeah you know what? Let's have somebody else. That's a great idea. Sunday morning. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I, I think that's, you know, if you're part of an organization and you're plotting and planning and scheming, doing some research among um, the broader church to say, hey, if we ran this advertisement during the Super Bowl, how do you think this would go? Um, use the resources of, that the church has out there for you, which are a lot of thoughtful people. So that would be as a reminder to myself and to all the rest of us, too that uh i think we can get so invested in one idea and one way that it has to be actualized that we can kind of uh, miss the forest for the trees sometimes so go wash feet though i mean that yeah. is so <laughs> yeah go wash feet turn this over in your minds again our our goal here on thinking out loud is to get the wheels turning not to do your thinking for you we know you're perfectly capable of doing that yourself and you prove it to us time and again by writing to us and giving us all sorts of thoughtful feedback for which we're very, very grateful. So thanks for listening to us rambling on about this. He gets us ad. You've been listening to thinking out loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope. Thanks for listening to thinking out loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do book, Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at www.toltogether.com. That's toltogether.com. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends. It really does help.